Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Trying to measure our solar system and the universe whilst being inside of it. Now in many ways, astronomy is the science of the difficult, trying to look at something that you are yourself a part of. That's what researchers try to understand by investigating the curvature of space-time itself in a laboratory. Plus, we find out how researchers are looking for an eerie glow that is part of our solar system. The word space is a bit of a strange one. We use it to refer to what we can see of the universe around us. And at times, it looks empty, empty space. And in many ways, it is. Vast distances between all of those dots of light that we see in the sky make space incredibly sparse lack of density is one of the things that's hard to get your head around. One of the other problems with space is that, in other senses, it's anything but empty. There are huge amounts, colossal amounts of things that you can't really get your mind around out there in the universe. And trying to look at them, picture them, understand them is really difficult. Because after all, we are part of the universe. How can you make a measurement of the universe without actually you know, being part of it? then how can you know what's in our solar system and what our solar system looks like? Because we are inside of it. And yes, we have sent robotic missions outside of our solar system, but they aren't even having been launched many years ago beyond what we would consider, at least in some senses, the boundaries of the solar system and able to take lots of detailed measurements that we love them to do. In particular, I'm talking about the missions like Voyager and the New Horizons probes. Now, These missions give us a picture of what the universe outside of our solar system is like, but it also opens some pretty odd questions about our solar system itself. Because when you look at that data, what you see is something really, really weird. Now, the way in which this particular paper, which was recently published in the journal, the Astronomical Journal, with researchers from a number of collaborating universities, including Arizona State University, Macquarie University, University of Western Australia, and led out of NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, they outline something pretty spooky. It's not Halloween season anymore, but I want you to imagine a really spooky scenario. This is what the authors put as one of the statements about this particular problem that they see. Imagine walking into a room at night, turning off all the lights and closing the shades. But instead of being in complete darkness, you have an eerie glow that comes not from a light or something else in your hand, but a faint eerie glow coming from the walls, the ceiling and the floor. The faint light is not enough to even see your hand before your face, but it's there. Now, that sounds really spooky, but it is essentially what astronomers have been noting about the solar system. The solar system has a background glow that, in many ways, is really, really spooky. There are maybe some possible explanations for this, but nevertheless, the reason why our region of empty space has an eerie glowing light to it is just absolutely confusing for astronomers. You can look at a possible explanation as follows. Imagine that our solar system is surrounded by a shell of dust, and that extends all the way out beyond Pluto. Now, if you have this dust particles with sufficient enough spread across the entire rim 
sphere of our solar system, then eventually some of that light will be bounced off. The light from our sun will go all the way out to the edges of our solar system, hit a dust particle and bounce back to us. This would create incredibly faint, but nevertheless present, glow. Now, we can imagine this, because if you see dust falling through the air inside your house, you can see sometimes how those motes will catch light, reflect it back into your eyes, and make it look like the room itself is shimmering. That is really cool, but it's not just having a dirty house in this case, it's actually probably something more complicated. Now, the reason we say this is the glow is incredibly evenly and smoothly distributed. Okay, if there was to be some source or build up some remnants of something out there, well, you wouldn't expect it to be perfectly nearly homogeneous and smooth. Now, because the glow is so smoothly distributed, the other potential source of this is some kind of many of the innumerable comets as these comets fall towards the sun, they're coming in from all kinds of angles. The sun and the stellar wind coming out of the sun blows and creates that comet tail that you're imagining. But what happens to all that stuff blown off the comet? Well, it will be carried out to the solar wind can blow no more, creating a big stream and eventually distributing at the edge of the solar system where there's not enough wind. Now, that's a nice idea, and given comets can come from all different kinds of locations across our solar system, you would get a much more even scattering. That's true. But how to prove and investigate this in more detail? Astronomers took 20,000 images from the NASA Hubble Space Telescope. Yes, that venerable research platform. And they combed through this and made tens of thousands of measurements on those images looking for this residual background glow in the sky. They call this project Sky Surf. Now, you could look for this background light by taking an image, then subtracting away all the stellar reflections we know about. Light from planets, stars, galaxies, and from the dust in the plane, like the flat plane in our solar system, the plane that we also expect planets to form. So we do expect a line of light, but we know that one. We call that the zodiacal light. That's sort of the plane which all the planets form on, and you have a little bit of a concentration of dust there. So taking out all those objects and subtracting them all away, you end up with this background light. And when the researchers finished this scan of the images, they illuminated this topic a little bit. They found an exceedingly but tiny excess of light, equivalent to the steady glow of just 10 fireflies spread across the entire sky. That's really, really small amounts of light, but it is measurable, you would notice some light if there was no other light around. And that's effectively what they're doing. If there were no stars in the sky and no human light on Earth, then those 10 fireflies would certainly stand out. This data from the Hubble mission is useful, but that's Earth orbit based. To get beyond this, we have to look at missions that go beyond the normal confounds of our astronomical observatories. And that's where things like NASA's New Horizons mission in 2021, that probe sent back data because New Horizons has gone well past Pluto, did that in 2015, and then visited a small Kubi belt object in 2018, and, and now it's on its way, but not quite yet, into interstellar space. So New Horizons took some measurements at around 4 billion to 5 billion miles from the sun. 
Now, this is well outside the realm of planets and asteroids, so this is not an area where you expect planetary dust to be, because that would have all coalesced towards the sun and formed planets and asteroids. So we don't expect any contamination from planet-based dust. But New Horizons itself still detected a really faint light. And this is beyond the realm of planetary dust, so it's not contamination, but it is light. Now, the other big challenge in this result is that it, the light itself suggests that it came from something further away than the source that Hubble detected. So that suggests that there's another dust component between Earth and where Hubble's measurements were done, and then the distance where the New Horizon made its measurements. So some, somewhere in that range between 4 to 5 billion miles, well, there's another thing producing some kind of residual light. Now, Hubble's measurements are getting a higher reading than of New Horizons. If the light was being reflected at the edge and Hubble is closer to the edge, well, then you would say, okay, clearly that means that New Horizons is closer to it, and that confirms the hypothesis. But it suggests actually there's some kind of extra light coming in from inside our solar system could be a local phenomenon that is not from far outside the solar system. But maybe it's something about the way in which our solar system is constructed that we don't really understand un until now. This is not necessarily a new problem. Astronomers have been filtering out excess light from Hubble for years, basically since it turned on. Because more than 95% of the photons of the images that come from Hubble's archive, if you go through them, come from distances less than 3 billion miles. So inside this range that we're talking about of having some light reflection source. So... We don't really understand where these are from and how exactly they work, but there's definitely something faintly glowing inside of our solar system. There's also something that New Horizons detected just outside our solar system as well, further away, very faint too. But what this suggests is that space itself is not as empty as we thought. The space around our solar system is even less so, and there are some lights hanging around there, eerily glowing. There's some great research published in the Astronomical Journal, with leader on this author on this paper, Timothy Carlton from ASU, and a long range of collaborators. So you'll likely know that space-time is curved. Now, the explanations given in Einstein's theory of relativity, we know that these are inextricably connected to space and time. We can know about the way gravity affects space by distorting the plane, imagining like large balls on a trampoline, creating the bending in space and time. And on the larger scale, we know, in principle, that our curved universe is somehow also bent. The problem is, we know that the universe has some kind of curvature to it, but how on earth can you measure it? Because you are inside of it, and it is so small, so absolutely minuscule, it is barely measurable. It's the structure of space-time itself. Well, that's a pretty big problem. Problem that researchers from Heidelberg University set out to tackle and publish a paper on in the journal Nature. Lead author in this paper was Cecilia Veerman, part of the research group Isoquant at Heidelberg University. This is a universe scale question, and universe scale questions are really hard to comprehend. So, what do you do? Well, you can shrink things down, way down. And that's what they did. They succeeded in creating 
a quadrant of curved universe by manipulating ultra-cold quantum gases. Now, they're not trying to create a universe in a bottle. No, no, we're not in science fiction world here. What they were trying to do is simulate an entire family of different curvatured universes to investigate the kind of scenarios that would happen inside of them and check them against the predictions of quantum theory and what would be predicted as part of a quantum field theoretical model. The type of model that you choose governs exactly how the whole universe will be curved. The decisions you make in selecting the parameters of a quantum model, they can have universal style implications. If flat space, like our current universe, the shorter distance between two points is always a straight line. It is possible, however, that maybe our universe was curved really early on, and the consequence of having a curved space would mean that, well, it wouldn't mean a straight line would be the shortest distance, it would be something else. So, to make a quantum field simulator, you need to do a couple of interesting things. It consists of a cloud of potassium atoms. You take these potassium atoms and you cool them down, way down, almost as close to absolute zero as you can possibly get to them, just a few nanokelvins above zero kelvin. Now, when you do this, it creates a state called a Bose-Einstein condensate. It's a special quantum mechanical state where the atomic gas is almost stopped. It's, it's really, really super cold. Now, when you get to this Bose-Einstein condensate, you can see the smallest of excitations. You can observe, in some ways, the energy changes in the state of atoms. Because everything else is so still and cold, then you can actually look at that minute changes in the energy state of atoms that would otherwise just be completely obscured. Now, the form of the atomic cloud determines the dimensionality, or the properties of space-time, which then these excitations, or these slight changes in the energy state of atoms, then ride out like waves. Now, in our universe, there are three dimensions, plus one more, a fourth, time. Now, in this experiment at, conducted by the researchers, they trap the atoms in a thin layer. So the propagation wave that happens when you see some energy and it spreads out across, like a ripple, could only occur in two-dimensional, a flat plane. Now, the atomic cloud in the remaining two dimensions can be then shaped in almost any way. So you could kind of curve it. By this, they tried to implement a precisely tuned magnetic field that can then change the propagation speed of the wave, the ripple, as it spreads out. While it's not possible, at least in the setup that they have, to create a three-dimensional, four-dimensional, fifth-dimensional curved or strained shape, by messing with the ripple by using magnetic fields, you can simulate one. So when I talk about making a simulated curved or otherwise shaped universe, this is how they're doing it. By having a flat plane, a ripple in that, and then tweaking the way that Ripple behaves to try and create a simulation of what would occur in this weird quantum mechanics state if it was otherwise being influenced by more dimensions. This is really cool for the researchers because you could create situations that are very much like early conditions in the universe. So you could explore some of these questions like what happened in some of the starting points of our universe? What shape was it before it got to the size that it is now? What happens if that space suddenly rapidly expands? Well, by doing these simulations in a really, really incredibly small scale, you can build and validate tests and models, which you then can apply to obviously larger scale simulations. Now, you can't make a universe in a bottle, but you can study how that universe might shrink or change or be curved. And that you can feed into a much larger computational model to get better answers into this, the question of how the universe is formed and structured.
So whilst you can't completely solve all of the riddles of the universe and the shape and curvature that it has, you can certainly get a much clearer picture of the way it behaves by creating these simulations in a flat plane in a laboratory with special materials like bose einstein constantines. It's a great paper published in the journal Nature with lead author Celia Veerman. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From an eerie glow inside of our solar system to simulating the earliest stages of the universe in a laboratory to understand curvature of space. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.